0: Yeah. give him praise give him praise for awakening us up for awakening his people thank you God for waking us up Woo! the power of a dream if we live it out come on give him praise for that he's doing something in us he's doing something in us because he wants to do something through us give him praise amen 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 that was uh, my first favorite, most favorite father-son project we've uh, ever part- taken in. Uh, all I did is write the song. Gavin did everything else. We had some help with Michael and a few people, but it was, it was, God is, God is doing something. Let me tell you, uh, and by the way, you're the first ones to ever see that, just so you know. Like, it, it's, you're the first. So, um, if you want to see it again, it'll be available. I believe you're posting it, uh, I think today at noon, right, Michael, yes. uh, on uh, instagram facebook okay so if you want to check that out the song will be available uh to download on your phone uh from itunes not until next tuesday the 12th and that's the projected date that's what they're telling us and that's not us it's on them they're very slow uh but uh next tuesday you can download that huh god is, good. god is good amen all the time come on god is good and so you can check that out next Tuesday. Uh, all the proceeds go directly to the, uh, to the Dream Campaign. Uh, and, and the first time we're going to sing that together is on the 17th, which is the last, in th- a th- couple weeks from now, the last week of the, the Dream Campaign. We're going to sing it live for the first time together. So familiarize yourself with that song, and we're going to lift one voice. Because when God hears us sing, I believe he hears one collective voice singing this Dream Song. Amen? Well, listen, the dream is not about a building. It's about, say it, people. people. People with a vision to be a family of God, authentically living out the mission of God. What's the mission? To help people find and follow Jesus. You know, the vision has not changed since we started in this living room Okay, to the time we have today brought us to, uh, to Willow Canyon. It hasn't changed. The vision has not changed. I love what Solomon wrote in, in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But how many know that the reverse is true? Where there is God-inspired vision, the people flourish. And we've seen that at the gathering. What God has done in short time is Remarkable. People are flourishing. We've seen close to 200 commitments, first-time commitments to Christ. We've seen more people come back to Christ. We've seen people delivered from addiction, delivered from hurts, delivered from hang-ups. God is flourishing the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is flourishing in our midst. We are seeing life transformation, because God gave us that vision. That vision is our God-given dream. They're synonymous. The vision is the God-inspired. Dream, And that dream is ours to champion, it's ours to, to steward, it's ours to own. That dream has taken us from a living room, to a backyard, to LifeSpring, to CFTN, to Willow Canyon, and now, very soon, it will be taking us to what I'm calling the Olive Campus. It's a corner of, kind of near Olive and Reims, and I'm calling it the Olive Campus because how many know that Jesus... Had an olive campus. And some powerful moments, some powerful work was done on that campus called Gethsemane. And this is our olive campus. God's given us a campus to steward. And let me, tell you, let me give you a truth about dreams. God uh, given dreams, they outlive this life. Did you know that? That God given dreams actually outlive each one of us. Harriet Tubman had a dream to build an underground railroad to provide safe passage for slaves, saving countless lives. Mother Teresa had a dream to serve the poorest of poor and inspired our world to greater acts of benevolence. How about Cornelia Boone? She had a dream to to help hundreds of Jewish survivors escape the Holocaust during World War II. Martin Luther King Jr had a dream to show that all people are created equal and led to the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And while we celebrate all those people's dreams, and we should celebrate those people's dreams, God didn't plan for us to live the rest of our lives talking about dead people's dreams. God is a unique author. He is a creator. Just look up in the sky. Just look at his people. None of us are exactly the same. He is unique. He has given us collectively, as a family, a very unique dream. And he's telling us, now go live it out. Celebrate other people's dreams, but don't spend the rest of your life your life, trying to plagiarize somebody else's dream. I've given you a dream. Now go and live it out. That's what he's telling us. And for some of us, he had to kick us upside the head. Because we're stubborn. Because we think we know how to do life without God. Because we think we know how to do church without God. I thought I did. Until I felt that two by four. And praise God, he loved me enough to discipline me and to wake me up. But let me tell you something. Dreams don't come easy. Legacies aren't built easily. History isn't altered easily. It's going to take some work. Here's the, here's the big idea. Two words. Dreams ache. Say it with me. Dreams ache, like the incessant aching of a failing tooth. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Dreams are accompanied by a pain that is not eradicated. It's not soothed. It's not fixed by medicine. It doesn't go away. That pain is God's way of burdening us, encumbering us, not in a bad way, in a good way to keep us tethered to that God-given dream. We're not supposed to run from that pain. We're not supposed to run from that ache, avoid it, eliminate it. We're supposed to own it. Because when we own that ache, life's transformation occurs. Lives are literally changed. People come to know Christ. When we absorb that ache, when we own that ache, when we don't try to distance ourselves from it, when we embrace it, when we own it, lives are changed. Over the next three weeks, here at our dream campaign, we're gonna look at a man named Nehemiah. A man who, uh, a normal guy like us, who's no one special, just a normal guy who had a, uh, who felt the ache of a God-inspired dream to rebuild these dilapidated walls of Jerusalem. And he would own his dream, and forever he would change his life, he would change the lives of a community, and he would leave an indelible mark that we still talk about today. Years, years later. Why? Because he owned his dream. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. The year is 444 B.C. Nehemiah is living in the Persian city of Susa, about 800 miles away from Jerusalem. The Jews, if you recall, have been living in Babylonian captivity for 70 years until Babylon fell to Persia. The king of Persia Artaxerxes then allowed the Jews to begin returning to Jerusalem. Now, King Artaxerxes was the most powerful man in the world. And he had this little guy named Nehemiah who was his cupbearer. A cupbearer would have the uh, pleasure of tasting the king's wine. Which was a good gig as long as the wine wasn't poisoned. But occasionally there'd be a plot to kill the king and you know someone might drink the wine and it didn't work out so well for the, uh, for the cupbearer. He was a normal guy. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He was a layman. He was just like us, just a normal dude. Nehemiah chapter two, verse one. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Lord, thank you for the dream you have birthed in us for the associated ache, the insatiable ache that won't go away. God, thank you for that ache. Help us learn how to own that today, in Jesus' name, amen. How do we do that? How do we own that God-given ache? Number one, owning our ache means nourishing our ache. Nehemiah would receive news if we look at time, we'd look back in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of chapter 1. He would receive news of the dilapidated conditions of the wall. That's Nehemiah 1, verse 1. And, and it says in the month of Kislev, that would be equivalent to December. So in December, he gets the news. In chapter 2, verse 1, it was the month of Nisan, which is April, before he actually went and talked to the king about it. That's four months. Four months. Here's what I'm saying. What he did in those four months were critical. He nourished his dream. You see, dreams have a gestation period. The human gestation period from conception to birth is 40 weeks, right? And how many women who have had kids would acknowledge that... uh, Maybe you've had some, uh, some, some cr- unusual cravings during maybe the first or second trimester, the whole, the whole time, th- all, all the way up, 40 weeks for you, girl. Well, we know that's from hormonal changes and a heightened taste and a sense of taste and, and smell. But did you know that those unusual cravings can also be the body's natural way of securing the nourishment that it needs? For instance, anybody craved pickles? Pickles. Well, pickles are a craving that many women crave due to low sodium levels because that sodium is being channeled to the fetus. Or how about chocolate? Anybody, any, any, yeah, chocolate? Doctors suggest that part of this is due to the need for tryptophan. Tryptophan uh, comes in chocolate and produces serotonin in your brain, which causes the secretion of endorphins, and endorphins make mama feel happy. <laughs> yeah. My wife, we have four kids, and I'm like, I guess, have all the chocolate you want. I guess he's candy, right? Men know it's important for mama to be feel happy. Dreams need to be nourished, just like the fetus, just like a child. But you know what? Here's the sad reality. So many dreams are starved because they're not nourished, because we don't know how to nourish our dream. They're starved. And you know what happens? The dream that God whispers here to our heart never makes it to our hands because it's not properly nourished. I love what John Maxwell He said, dreams are like tiny bubbles floating innocently in the ocean close to jagged rocks. We got to safeguard that dream. We have to nourish the God-given dream. What did Nehemiah do? What did he do during the four months? How did he nourish that dream? I'm glad you asked. We look back at Nehemiah 1, verses 3 through 10. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Now, why would he wept? Why would he cry? Because he has an ache. You know, when you're aching, when something means something so much to you, even big boys, men, cry. And that's perfectly fine. For some days I mourned, and here's what he did, here's the nourishment, and fasted. And prayed More about that in a second. Fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Then I said, and listen to this prayer. I love this prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. Day and night, really that much? Well, yeah, when it means that much to you, you pray a lot. When the ache is that palpable, that real, that present, you can't help but pray day and night. And what's he praying for? He's praying for the wall, right? No, he's not praying for the wall. It says, for your servants, the people of Israel. It wasn't about a wall. The wall was for the people. It was about the people. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. He owned it. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. And that's exactly what God did. Seventy years in Babylonian exile has a way of changing a man. Verse 9, one of the greatest verses I believe in the Bible. And it's really the heart of the gathering. We have... We have 1025 on these braces, but it could be Nehemiah 1 verse 9. But if you return to me and obey my commands, in other words, you own the dream, then if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, you know the kind of people that people give up on? That's the people I love. When they come to the gathering, I just love the people that, that other, they slip through the cracks. And the other people say, oh, no, they're done. They're done. He says... The people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather them. What's the name of this church? Yeah. Hmm. I will gather them from here and bring them to a place I have chosen called the Olive Campus as a dwelling for my name. I love that. God says, Look, if you own this dream, if you own this dream, I'm going to keep bringing people to this place. I'm going to send you people who the world calls deplorables. He calls them restorables. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't give up on broken people. Thank God I wouldn't be here. He says, I'm a, you own this dream, and, and the people that have been scattered all about, the people who have given up on God because they've been hurt by God or by hurt by church people, normally it's church people more than God, right? Church people acted crazy like we sometimes do. Let's own that. I own that. And he says, I'm gonna bring them back. I'm gonna bring them back. I'm gonna bring them back. And so you better prepare for the harvest. You better prepare because I am sending people your way. Really, God, I'm not I'm not good enough. I'm not He says, I know you're not. And that's why. Because you know you're not. Because you know you need me. We know we need Him because apart from Him, we can't do this whole thing. We're ill-equipped. Yeah, give Him praise. He deserves it. And he says, verse 10, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jesus. So so how do we do it? How are we going to nourish the dream? The same way he did. Fasting and praying. And there's other ways. But those are two keys. We cannot avoid fasting and praying. So here's what we're going to do. As a a group beginning on November 8th, I'm inviting you for 10 days, November 8th through the 17th, to take part in the Daniel fast. We are going to do a Daniel fast. This is not mandatory. Some people have medical conditions or health reasons they cannot fast. Uh, and, and so this is a volitional decision. This is, there's no guilt. There's no special, you know, you don't, you don't get, you know, extra credit in heaven for this. This is just something that when you're chasing God, it's just a good idea to do if you can do. Okay? Um, now, why do we call it the Daniel Fast? We call it the Daniel Fast because uh, there's this movie called Karate Kid. It's also called the Mr. Miyagi Fast. No, I'm totally joking. It comes from Daniel chapter 10. Uh, where Daniel avoided ch- what he called choice foods. What are those choice foods? Meat, pastries, chips, fried food, alcohol, coffee, tea. Yeah, I said it, coffee. <laughs> and what would he eat? Fruits, nuts, vegetables, natural juices. For some of us, that's going to be really tough. Okay, we're, we're not going to have donuts, right, Libby? No donuts and coffee next week. But if you walk in with a, with a Starbucks coffee, no one's going to guilt you. No one's going to ridicule you, okay? It's not that kind of church. But for those of us who are, are taking part of this, we're gonna we're going remove some of that temptation and uh, we're gonna fast. And so there might be some very moody people next week at church. <laughs> Give them some grace, okay? No caffeine for a while, it, it'll mess with you. Uh, and by the way, there'll be more information about what the Daniel Fast is and what foods you can and can't have, although that's completely up to you, but suggested foods that you can and can't have. Uh, they'll be on our... our uh, Facebook, Instagram, and our gathering app. So you can uh, look at that later today. And here's the cool part. We're going to break the fast on November 17th at the end of the gathering experience. We're going to have food trucks lined up outside, and we're going to have a whole bunch of cholesterol, a whole bunch of big fattening meat, man. We're going to have steak. I don't know. We're going to all sorts of crazy stuff. We're going to make up for 10 days, all right? But remember, the fast, it's not about what you give up. It's about what you replace it with, right? I mean, if, we're not just giving up food to give up food. We're giving up food so we can say, God, I want to focus on you. Like, I, I want to spend more time owning this ache and owning this dream. And so, to that end, we're also going to challenge everyone to pray, to spend time daily in prayer. And, and to that end, we are going to have a prayer walk on November 16th. Write that down, November 16th at 4 p.m. at the land. We're going we're gonna, to... Uh, walk around the land, we're going to worship, we're going to hold hands and pray. Uh, I would ask that you carpool because there is limited uh, parking and wear some old shoes because we're going to get dirty because there's not yet a building on that land. So uh, fast and pray, more information on our website, but that's part of owning the dream, right, is nourishing the dream. Number two, owning owning our ache means overcoming our fear. Look at verse 1b. Nehemiah says, I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, well, why does your face look so sad? You're not ill. You're not sick. This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. He responds, I was very much afraid. Think about that. That was a total breach of etiquette. Here, King Artaxerxes is the most powerful man in the world. A servant would never show his personal emotions in the presence of the king. Like, that's a breach of etiquette. You don't do that. That's like, you know, a secret serviceman on on board Air Force One knocking on President Trump's door. He opens the door and says, Hey, uh, my son, he got a detention today at school, and my wife is super mad. Like, she's tore up about it. She wants to go to counseling. Like, I'm just having a really bad day. Like, you don't do that. Right, and Nehemiah had everything to lose. He, his his status, this great job of tasting the, the king's wine. I mean, he loses that gig. He's going back to two buck Chuck. All <laughs> oh, the religious people hated that joke. He had everything to lose. He said, "Why wouldn't I be afraid?" Of course, he was afraid. And so, let me just debunk this myth because we're gonna face some fear amidst this the dream. Part of the ache. Part of the ache. Is is a fear? Just to let you know, there's this myth that God given dreams should be absent of fear. Uh, that is a lie. Well, what do you mean? Second Timothy one seven, for God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self discipline. So therefore, if there's if there's fear present amidst this gathering dream, as you as you step out and begin to own the dream, if there's some sort of uh, a fear well then, dream must not be from God. I hear Christians say that all the time, and it baffles me. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but in these unredeemed bodies, in our fallen state, in our depravity and limitation that we have in our humanity, of course there's gonna be fear as you step out and do something big for God. Of course you're going to to come under attack. Dreams put you on a collision course With fear. Your family will come under attack. The more you do for God, the more you're going to get attacked. The more you're going to argue with your spouse. We never used to argue before we really stepped out of faith and really started to try to own our dream. Yeah, join the crowd. I know. That's why so many people are like, I ain't owning this dream. I'm just going to do as little as I can for God. You know, maybe I'll come to church once in a while, throw some money. I'll just do as little... We do that. Christians do that all the time. And they settle for so much less and they never really live out their dream because they don't want the attack that it brings. Ephesians 6 promises us attack. It promises us that we're wrestling against an army, not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. Satan is invisible, but he's not fictional. He's real and he hates us. And sometimes... In our humanity, there's things that come up when we're chasing God that make us a little fearful. Now, we don't have to be governed by fear. We don't have to be gripped by fear. We don't have to be dictated by fear. But fear is present in the midst of that ache. You will encounter the presence of fear because of our humanity. We claim victory, like the song says. We're going to see the victory through the blood of Jesus. But that doesn't eradicate the fear. It means we have victory in the midst of fear. I would question, is faith absent of fear? Really even faith? Right? I mean, when's the last time you really had to exercise faith? I mean, I, I worked in church for a long time, and I'm not sure in, in any of those churches, I really had to exercise a whole lot of faith, if any. And that's not in the church. That's on me. That's on me. That's my, my deal. I mean, when's the last time you really had to, like, if God doesn't show up, I'm in big trouble. Like, when's the last time? Do we really exercise faith? I'm not sure that faith, absent of fear, is really even faith. Because if you really step on a faith, it's gonna it's gonna test you. It's gonna cause you to to your palms to sweat and your heart to beat. It's gonna push you to to a whole another level of servanthood, a whole another level of surrender. I don't know, Pastor John. I need a verse for that. Luke twenty two forty four. Jesus, it says, he was in anguish, the Bible says, and he's, his sweat was like drops of blood. Oh, such a cute little metaphor. No, it's not a metaphor. It's a medical condition called hematidrosis. It's when the capillaries that feed the, the sweat glands actually rupture and exude blood. You know what the cause is, according to the professionals? Acute fear. Jesus, fully God, fully man, dealt with the same stuff we dealt with he didn't give into it like some of us do like I do sometimes right but but he dealt with it i love what ellen uh, johnson wrote if your dreams don't scare you they aren't big enough come on man let that let that mess with you for just a second if your dreams don't scare you they aren't big enough you know as as we've been entering this dream campaign i've been wrestling you know of how to do this and how to do this right and how to do it biblically. And so I, I told you a while back, there's this, uh, there's this firm. That, you know, most churches that are our size, they hire an outside firm, and, and they run the whole campaign for you. Okay, so we, we interview with the guy, and, you know, they wanted to charge us this large sum of money to, to run our campaign. I'm thinking, well, really, you live in Texas. What do you know about surprise? What do you know about our people? What do you know about the things that we're facing here? But every other church, not every, but most other churches do that. That's just a normal thing. And that's nothing wrong with that. But, like, I'm like, God, you call me. To, I'm trying to do this as best I can. And I don't see, like, so, so we made the decision not to go with them. Now, one of the things they said you absolutely have to do, you absolutely have to do, you have to have what's called a big giver's dinner. So what they do is they take the top percentage of givers, like the top 50 givers or top 100 givers. And what you do is, is they tell you that the 80% of the resources from the campaign will come from those top givers. And what they say, you're supposed to have them over to your home, roll out the red carpet, give them a good meal, give them all this and nice inspirational, motivational, Chris Farley, you know, type of speech. And that will procure a great, Amount of funds for the campaign. I'm like, hang on a second, man. Hang on a second, just one, one second. I'm like, I'm looking through because, like, everything we do, right, it, it comes at least we, as we're trying to do everything from this book, right? Don't don't jack with it, don't add to it, don't take away. Like, just 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 do what he did. And so I'm looking in this book, and I'm like, okay, Luke 14, Jesus said, when you have people over to your house, make sure you invite the poor, the sick, the blind, the crippled, the lame. And the big givers. And then I go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he talks about the sin of partiality. but how how You're not supposed to, you know, let people sit up front. And it gives preferential treatment to to people who give. Which is why I don't look at the, I don't look, I don't even, I I don't know who the big givers are in this church. I mean, praise God if there is. And if you're faithful, that's awesome. But like, I don't even know who you are. I would have to ask Libby who they are. Because I don't look because I, I, I know my own humanity, right? And so, and so I don't look at that stuff. And so I'm like, but, I, but there's this trepidation in me because I'm like, am I a bad leader? Because every other person, all the church manuals, everything, all, every church I've ever been a part of, the three before, they all do it. Like everyone says you're supposed to do this. And I'm like, I just don't see it. But so, so you see what I'm saying? There's, there's fear. There's fear there. There's fear. But, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust God instead of trusting man. How about that? I love what what Mark Batterson writes in in this book. He wrote, Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Run to the roar. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-given passions. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Stop pointing out problems. Become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past, start creating the future. Face your fears, fight for your dreams. Grab opportunity by the mane and don't let it go. Live like today is the first and last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges, blaze new trails. Live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Dare to fail. Dare to be different. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away. Chase the dream. But that's going to take overcoming fear. Just full disclosure. No buyer's remorse. Get that up front. There's going to be fear. There's going to be trepidation. That's part of the deal. That's part of the ache. And lastly, owning our ache equals embracing the burden. Look at verse three. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Now, he's brown nosing, right? I mean, anytime you say, hey, king live forever, you know something else is coming right behind her, right? Hey, that's like, um, people say, oh, nice, nice message today. But, you know, right? So here he goes. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors Are buried, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed. Okay, Captain Obvious, of course I'm sad. Why wouldn't I be? I got a, my heart is broken. My heart is aching. Are you kidding me? How could I not be sad? I love these people. I know they're 800 miles away, but they're my people and they need me. They need help. Of course I'm sad. And the sadness wasn't for a project, it was for people. It wasn't for a structure. It was for souls. And see, that's the litmus test. That's how you know a burden is a godly burden because godly burdens always point to people. Yeah, God in people, amen. God directs us to the people, but it's always gonna point to people. Always gonna point us to people. Shallow is the heart that aches for something more than someone. What do we ache for? If you ripped open my chest, man, what's my ache? Is it for a new car? Is it for a new house? Is it for like a, a new high dollar purse? No, I can assure you it's not that. <laughs> but like, what do you ache for? Like, what's your heart's cry? D.L. Moody, he was an evangelist. and He was in London during one of his famous evangelistic tours. Uh, and uh, he, was, he was visiting, and several British pastors came to him, and they wanted to know how this poorly educated American, how God could use this guy to win so many people to Christ. And so they were high up in a hotel room, and they were, you know, asking him you know, kind of how you do this. And he says, come over to the window. He says, look out the window. And these British pastors peer out the window. He says, Tell me what you see. And one by one, these pastors would describe what they saw below. They would uh, describe bustling city streets, cars scurrying below, prominent city structures. And after describing what they saw, they looked back at D.L. Moody and they saw tears just running down his cheeks. And they said, well, Mr. Moody, what, what, do you what do you see? And he said, and I quote, I see thousands of souls that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find the Savior. When was the last time our hearts broke like Mr. Moody's or our hearts ached like Nehemiah's? for the people of our city. We're not 800 miles away, we're 800 feet away. When's the last time you drove down Bell Road and you were uh, (laughs) more burdened for the weak than you're burdened by that God awful traffic? When's the last time we hurt for the broken, for the broken, more than we hurt people by our brokenness. When's the last time we agonized over the lost, lost people more than the the money we lost in last year's 403B? When's the last time we laid in bed at 3 a.m., unable to sleep because we're bothered for the homeless more than we're bothered by the homeless? I pray God gives you an unquenchable ache I pray that it keeps you up at night like it keeps me up at night. I was away for a whole week having downtime. You know what I thought of? You know what I thought of? You. The whole time I'm away, I'm thinking of you. This is my family, man. This is it. I'm going all in. I already went all in. I got no backup plan because I love you and because God called me to this place as this school. I, I ache and, and it doesn't go away. And, and if you have an ache that doesn't go away, it's okay. I mean, if it's a backache, it takes some Advil. But if it's a God-induced ache, that's a good thing, man. That's how you know God's getting ready to do something special. And he already has. He's already begun the work. But the majority of that work is ahead. And he's called the faithful, the people that are willing to, to, to meet in the school. Because so many other people say, we'll meet you on the other side of the dream. When you have the nice building, we'll, we'll catch you on that side. Not everyone's willing to do this. See, so y'all are a special group. It does start here. And it started in the living room. But it's continuing here. <laughs> So here's the plan, you ready? Here we go, take a deep breath. Some of you might not be ready for this, some of you are. plan as God and as our faith allows, because don't put this all on God. God's sovereignty allows a lot, but our disobedience or lack of faith, a lack of exercise in our faith can cause us to put the brakes on a dream. So as plan as God and our faith allows, here it is. Our plan is to build, a 60,000-square-foot church home with 1,000-seat worship center. Now, some of you say, oh, that's, yeah, yeah, so good. Amen. <laughs> for, for the few people that are like, ah, that's just too big. Listen, listen, I would question, learn from my mistake. I was ready to buy the CFTN building, little 300-seat building. And God, again, whack, upside the head. With a two by four I had to wake me up, realizing my vision was too small. He gave me a mulligan, thank you, Jesus. At this current rate, and I don't know what God's gonna do, but if God continues to bring the people that he's brought in the same pattern, I'm not sure a thousand seats will be enough. And see, so so God's waiting on us to catch up with him, I believe. So so that's what we're gonna do. We've prayed about it, and and as and you know, God can change things, but as of right now, this is what we feel the leadership of this church just feels that God is doing 60,000 square foot home, a thousand seat worship center, a spacious kids' facilities with modern amenities because we love kids and they are the future of the gathering church. They're gonna have some nice digs, yeah, buddy. Wait till you see some nice stuff for our kids. We're investing in our kids. That's why we have young people up on stage because we're training up the next worship leaders. Large area for gatherings. Uh, We're gonna have a play area. We want people to come during the week. We want moms with their kids, that are stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads to come and and hang out and and, and have a place to gather, not just during Sunday, right? (laughs) To gather during the week because we're a family. That's our value. We're a family of God, living out the mission of God. A large kitchen and classrooms, because you know we like to eat. And we found we yeah, we that's we used to go out every time after church. We love to eat. And Perhaps most importantly, working air conditioners. Woo. And phase two, we have some plans for that down the road, a coffee shop and a restaurant, because why should everyone go to Starbucks to hang out? Why shouldn't they gather at the gathering? And you know what the name we want to call? I want to call it Gathering Grounds. You know what I'm saying? Ooh. Which is really cool because I thought I had that coined, and then Pastor Gary's daughter and son-in-law had thought the same thing five years ago when they were back at, at VCC. I don't know if you knew that. Already had, they had it drawn up and everything. I'm like, you are kidding me. You know, so God is bringing us all together in such a cool way. So, uh, do you want to see a rendering? Okay, drum roll. And. Wah, wah, wah. Why should your face look so sad? Say it. Say it louder. Say it louder. One more time louder. It never was about the building. It was always about God's people. And so someday I'll probably put up a rendering. But you know what? Early on, we got to keep it real. We can never lose sight. When churches become about brick and mortar, the Holy Spirit's like, I'm out. I'm out. It's not about brick and mortar. It's about people. It always has been. It always will be. Whatever facility we get, wherever we're at, that's what God's church is about. We are the temple. So here you go. Here's here's, here's the the facts. Current construction cost to do this, $8 million. We're out of here. Darn right God can do it. Two years ago, I I, I would have, today I'm like, I've seen God do so much stuff. I saw God this week cause a man's breath to start breathing again, okay? Tell me God can't do it. So we need to raise, here's what we need to raise, all right, here's the number, 2.8 million. That's 35% of the total cost, $2.8 million. But you know what? It's not quite $2.8 million because uh, some of you have already been giving. You know that? Some of you have already been given to the Dream campaign. And so it's not 2.8 million. It's, uh, what is it? Minus 21,000, which you've already given. Uh, That's, yeah, 2,000 and change. Or 2 million. To God, it's 2,000. To God, it's two bucks. You know what I'm saying? Let's remember who we're talking about. The creator of the heavens and the earth. But it's not that number because Friday, a family called me. and They said, Pastor John, can you come over? We we can't wait, we can't wait till the 17th to plant our seed. So they came, I came over and they gave me this check for $25,000. So that's the current total. Oh, but wait, there was a young girl, sweet Juliet, serving, said, I'm gonna save all my tips I'm gonna save all my tips, and she added $100 of her tips to the dream. <laughs> but that's not it. The girl sitting next to you, Riley, my daughter, she sold some uh, chairs. We had some old chairs. We were gonna take them to the dump. We were gone in, we were gone in Israel. We come back, I'm like, what'd you do with those chairs? She's like, I sold them on OfferUp. Here's $40 for the dream campaign. But wait, but wait, a young man, 15 years old, stopped me a few weeks ago at the door and he gave me $77. And he said, I But you gotta hear this. He said, I said, How'd you get $77? He goes, I've been selling beef jerky and I wanna use all the money for the church. And here's the thing it's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice, about equal investment. I don't know what the Lord's going to lead you to do. Uh, quite frankly, me, me and Cindy and our family, we're going to give generously. We can't give $25,000, but we're going to give generously. we got to plan on how we can really stretch ourselves and, and exercise that sleepy, dormant faith so that we can do what we can do. And I don't know what God's going to call you to do. For some people, it might be $2,000. For some people, it's 10000 For some people, it's twenty-five. For some people, you've been blessed and, 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 you know, I forgot to mention, this, this check came out of their trust fund. I thought, how cool is that? When God can trust us with a trust fund, you know? What a great name for that. But for some of you, it might be $200,000. You might be blessed. I don't know what God's gonna do. I don't know how he's gonna do it, but he's gonna do it. He's gonna do it because he called us. And when he begins a work, he finishes it. He's faithful. God builds this house we ain't got nothing to worry about. If this is God-inspired dream, not my dream, not your dream, but if it's a God-inspired, God-induced dream, we got nothing to worry about. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna challenge us. But he will be faithful. So I'm going to uh, call the ushers. I'm trying to wrap this up. I had a lot to cover this first service, so thank you for giving me a little grace. Uh, I'm gonna call the ushers up. And what they're gonna do is they're going to, they're gonna distribute this, this dream commitment card. And so, just a quick review how do we own our dream we're going to fast for those who want to participate on the Daniel fast this begin this Friday the 8th through the 17th we're going to pray individually but also have a prayer walk at the land November 16th from 4 at 4 p.m. and then over the next two weeks and you guys go ahead and start distributing these go ahead Uh, I want you to take these home and I want you to pray I don't know what God's going to call you to do that's between you and God but he's going to challenge us. He's going to stir us. He's going to, to. I mean, he's giving us a model when our kids are doing this. It's like, what a great example they set for us. But take it home. Pray about it. And uh, what what we're asking you to do is above your normal giving, above your tithe, just uh, indicate what God would lead you to give. Maybe for some people it's a one-time. For, for us and our family it's going to be a monthly. Uh, and so however you would choose to do that, write your name and address and what that amount is and whether it's a one-time gift uh, for the whole year or if it's a monthly gift. And uh, just let the Lord lead you. For, for some of you, you already know the number. For some of you, don't fill it out because God's gonna work on you or deal with you or, or stir your heart, you know, over the next few weeks. But it's between you and God and I trust you and I trust God and the Holy Spirit to... Uh, to do what he wants to do. So let me just close with this. A few of us from the uh, leadership team went to a church called East Lake Church in Chula Vista, California, a couple weeks ago. And this church was planted in 1991, okay? And they had this thing on the wall that said what it, what, what God had done at that church since 1991. Check this out. They launched 37 churches. Four, they've had 4,258 baptisms. And by the way, we're gonna have two baptisms after after service two uh, today. Um, they've had 11,614 commitments to follow Christ and 268,000 attendees on all of their 37 campuses. All that since 1991. And, the, and I think we have, have a picture of it. That's a picture. I don't know who that dude is, but I snapped that picture. He's got a nice nice hairdo, but I don't know who he is. Uh, but look in the corner, look down the corner. It all started in a living room. And I snapped that picture and I'm like, yeah, buddy. I know that. And the truth is before it started in the living room, it started right here. Some dude, some girl, some family had a God-inspired ache. They probably laid in bed and just dreamt about that ache and how that could be lived out, right? And some, they said, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's, God's calling us to do this, man. Let's, let's start a church. And they probably, I don't know what their story is. They probably had 10 people, 15 people in the living room. <laughs> but they nourished it. They nourished that ache. They probably prayed a lot. I prayed more than I've ever prayed in the last year and a half of my life. I can promise you that much. You want to play in a church? You better, your knees better work good. They nourished that dream. They overcame the fear. You know there was a whole lot of fear. How are we going to do this? Church plants never succeed. The, the, the statistics are terrible for church plants. We have no money. We have no resources. Yeah, you got to overcome that. And they embraced the burden. They embraced that God-given ache, and they didn't let it die. They didn't run from it. And so one day, one day, when that all-of-campus building is built, picture something like this is going to hang in our lobby. It all started in the living room. (laughs) But I can promise you one thing, it won't be easy. A lot of blood, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of investment. Why? Because dreams ache. Let's pray. Today, the greatest ache anybody could ever have is... The ache for Jesus. If you don't have Jesus in your life, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart. And so with every every head bowed, I uh, just want to give you an opportunity to know Christ, to fill that void, to fill that ache. If there's someone that would want to make that decision, with every head bowed, no one looking around, says, Between you and God, I just want to know. If you want to know Christ and you've never made that decision to know him, he wants to know you. He wants to fill that ache, fill that void. With every head bowed, if you want to know him, would you just raise your hand right now? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Yep. Amen. For those of you that are raising your hand, just, just pray this prayer. You're not saying this to me. You're saying this to God. Say something like this. Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. Come fill this void. Come fill this ache. I cannot do life without you. And so I run to you today. I make you, Jesus, my Lord and my Savior from this moment on. I breathe. My heart beats. I exist for you. I am your child. Use me to do great things in this life and help me live out. The dream you've given me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's welcome them in the family of God. Yeah. That's awesome. Amen. Amen. And and one last thing before, bring these back on November 17th. November 17th. And you know what? We're going to have dirt from our land up here, and we're going to plant these suckers right in that dirt, and you're going to watch God grow this into whatever He wants to be. I don't know what it's going to be. It's His deal, but when we step out in faith, That's our job. He'll do what he wants to do. But we're going to be faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's give him praise. Come on. Give him praise. And hold on because it's going to be a crazy ride. But don't you quit. Don't you grow weary of doing good. You be faithful, men and women of God. Because you know what? One day we're all going to be gone. We're all going to be home. And people are going to talk about our dream, the dream that we started here. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you back next week.